Tom. Tom, welcome to episode 60 of Talking Wild Madness. I, uh, I'm not 100% sure which episode we're up to. I think we're up to episode 65. Uh, I also know that this is my 65th cup of tea or coffee I've had today, and that's uh, going down the tree. I have to say, I'll be honest. Do not miss the beer, wine, whiskey, one little bit. Not at all. Not at all. Thoroughly enjoying the uh, tea and coffee. Okay. Yes. So things might get a little sober on today's show, uh, Tom, which um, may make a nice change or may not make a nice change. But there are changes being made anyway. So I, I don't know. I'm sleeping. Wow. I'm sleeping better, but wow. not necessarily podcasting better. So. Um, mm. Well, I'd say sleep. Sleep is more important than um, podcast. Yeah. I. I yeah. Um, I, I, Usually I, the podcast can help people sleep better. <laughs> <laughs> but the person, the person who's making it, one of the people that's making it hasn't slept for 23 years, uh, but it's helping everybody else. I think it's a good, it's a good sacrifice. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the health benefits already. Uh, for anyone that's listening or interested, I've decided to give up uh, alcohol for 30 days or one month. And I think at this stage I'm going to take, the month of February, even though it's June or May, but I'm gonna I'll, I'll do it for four weeks, and uh, it's day five, and um, <laughs> I don't know what that is. What is that, Tom? <laughs> what was that? Is that a glass of a beer? Keyboard. I got a keyboard in front of me here. Oh, you have a keyboard. Excellent. I'm adding, I'm adding some some gadgets to the. Oh, is this turned into a breakfast radio program? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, my, my parents got me a, um, a little radio set for, I think it was Christmas or something like that. Is this last Christmas yeah. or like 20 years ago? No, no. When I was, when I was a small child. Oh. A small child. And I, you, how old is a small small child, you think? Eight years old. Well, legally, you're not allowed to touch them until they're about sixteen. I think that's uh, <laughs> so. Any anything anything below that, uh, other other than yeah, if you go lower than that, you you start getting uh, perimeters around schools and playgrounds. You're not allowed to go into. Otherwise, well, exactly the direction in which I was embarking. But <laughs> okay, <laughs> hopefully not, Tom. Hopefully not, brother. <laughs> Woo. Um, I, my parents got me this little. Uh, a radio uh, sender, I guess. Like it, 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 it could, it could do a radio show over the distance of a house. You, you could, you sort of create a frequency, and then, and it had some little gadgets on it. Oh uh, yes, yeah. That you could sort of- can you hold it up to the screen so I can see, or is it plugged in? I don't have it. Oh, this is like when I was ten or something like this. Oh, you said you had some gadgets, and then you started talking about the radio transmitter. I've got gadgets now, and I guess that's what reminded me of that. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Well, that, that toy. And now you're yeah. now you're doing a radio program that crosses the planet. <laughs> I'm in the big leagues. <laughs> Welcome to the NBA, rookie. Yes. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Um, yeah, you can't can't be drinking alcohol in the NBA. I guess you can. Yeah, but they apparently they all drank quite heavily. Apparently, so uh, and cocaine too. Is it? 
Well, you want to be refreshed for tip off the next day, so you gotta you have to bump yourself up, so to speak. Um, <laughs> not not that that's the reason I stopped drinking alcohol was because I had an NBA game uh, coming up. Um, uh, but yeah, apparently, apparently, um, I don't. You know the way when the canals in Venice apparently got clear, like only after a week or two, after like the world shut down for a while and relaxed, and then there were like dolphins in the canal the next a week from then, in Venice. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel inside. Uh-huh. That, that's how everything feels. I feel oh, like wow. a Venetian canal filled with dolphins. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Do you know what else would be great? A fucking cold glass of beer. That's what, that's that's <laughs> that's also what would be amazing. Uh, but that's okay because we only have twenty three days to go. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I think something that we've probably talked about. Well, in the past is bitterness because beer is a bitter uh, yes a bitter substance yes it's strange because it's kind of oh tom you've just frozen it's like a... oh hang on no you've frozen again i don't know if you can hear me you've frozen and you yeah, like... look like the guy the villain from no country for old men just in the way that you froze uh, no, no, not that villain. The other villain, the guy the, with the pneumatic pressure thing that bolts people in the head. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I've seen. I haven't seen that film. No. Okay, you need that's. Uh, no. you need to watch that film. No right? country for old men. No, yeah. wait. I think I have seen. Is that a Coen Brothers film? Yes. Now tell it's me and tell me about the bitterness theory. Sorry, while while you're while you're not freezing. <laughs> Uh, well, sharing, I think humans, we, particularly as adults, because if you drink a beer when you're a child, yeah, it's like, oh, this, I remember the first time I tasted beer, I, I think it was my uncle's emu export. Oh, my Lord. I think it, we, were, we were on like a family trip, and I would have been around the same age, I guess, with the, with the, uh, with the radio toy. Yes. And, uh. I tasted the beer and yeah, it was, it's so bitter. So, so disgusting. Like, it's so bitter. What's going on? Like they, people can't be drinking this stuff. No, no, they can't. So, so why do why do they why do they, Tom? Well, I think it's that it's the bitterness of existence in the, in a way. Drinking that, learning to accept the bitterness of. Of existence, so that's why that that taste becomes acquired. Oh, I don't know. yeah, okay. So we like a uh, crackpot theory of mine. What say that again, sir? A bit of a crackpot theory of mine. No, I think you. The bit of existence. I think you've cracked it. That's that's like um, if you're an assassin, and you you have to go and kill another assassin, but you know that that assassin is a poisoner and always uses arsenic. Before you go and kill the assassin, you spend like two years building up an immunity to by taking tiny amounts of of, uh, of arsenic, and then after two years, you can drink arsenic by the by the cupful. So when you go to engage with this other assassin, 
and then he tries to pull the old arsenic trick on you, you, you can brush your teeth with it. So, I, so I, I think you're spot on, Tom. I think you're spot on. Um, which which might explain all the coffee that I've been drinking today and yesterday and the yes, day before and the day before. What do you think, what do you think is more be, uh, bitter uh, out of uh, coffee and uh, beer? Well, you can make some potently strong coffee, which is extraordinarily bitter. Uh, depends on the coffee and it depends on the beer, I guess. Yeah, because you can drink beautiful, uh, you can drink beautiful stout that's not particularly bitter. And then IPAs and pale ales, and this isn't helping, by the way. <laughs> this is not this is not helping the uh, the temperance and abstinence of, of the beer. But seeing if you can brush your teeth with the. Oh, I could brush my teeth with a can of, of the can of pale ale right now. I think definitely. <laughs> <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. I've been building up an immunity for the last 25 years, so that's not a, not a problem. Um, well, what about coffee? What about coffee? Co- something that you can drink? Is, is coffee what you're drinking now? Um, I, that was just a cup of tea, but I have been mainly drinking coffee, for, yeah, for the last five days. I've been probably what having... Kind of sorry? What kind of tea are you drinking? Black tea or...? Just black tea now, yeah, just black tea. And yeah. uh, and just plunger plunger coffee. Uh, I, I like to have a bit. Tea, uh, yeah, go on. Tea used to be a huge um, commodity. Like a, 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 I mean, it still is, I guess. But it, at one one point in, in time, it was like, um, it seems like it was the major commodity of the of the world trade. Yes, it certainly was. Um, but if we can just go back to your theory for a minute. If you are facing the bitterness of the world, which certainly has its moments of bitterness, there's, there's two schools of thought. One is to go in deeper to the bitterness, to, accl- to acclimate to the bitterness by consuming more bitter uh, things, make, thereby making yourself immune to uh, uh, the mortal effects of the bitterness. Or the other, the other school of thought is to go the other way and... Uh, sweeten your 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 life to uh, combat the bitterness. So rather than go deeper into the the darkness, you turn on a few light switches, so to speak. Mm. Um, it's like if you have too many dogs, you go and buy a cat rather than another dog. Do you know what I don't I'm quite get the comparison, though. I, I think the comparison's pretty clear, Tom. I think it's pretty clear. Uh, <laughs> all right, you have too many cats, you go buy a mouse. And well, that's going to upset the cats terribly. If you ta- a mouse wouldn't upset the cats because the cats would just eat the mouse. Yeah, but it, they would. That would that would cause instant competition among the cats because they'd all want to eat the mouse. So it would turn. It would turn happy, fed, lethargic pride of house cats if you starve them and then put one mouse in the lounge room like if you starve your cats over say two weeks and then put one mouse in the middle like who is that why would we starve the cats let's not starve let's not starve anybody no <laughs> we're, we're not starving them we're it's like when you go to an italian restaurant and the italian guy with the slick hair and the nice shirt comes up and says uh you know what have you been up to today? What would you like to eat? What do you feel like? And then you say to him, oh, I'm starving. I can't wait to have whatever, whatever. And then he says in his accent, 
oh, hunger is the best sauce. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you're you're not starving the, the the cats. You're just preparing them for the best meal of their lives. However, <laughs> you're only putting one uh, while you're starving the uh, the mice. Sorry, while you're starving the cats. The food that you would have fed to the cats, you just give to this one mouse for two weeks. So by the time this mouse is ready to be sacrificed, he's in bad shape. He's not in good shape. So he's like his, his feet are barely touching the ground. He's a big blob. He's like a big mouse. And then, uh, yeah, then you let those cats, then you let the cats go. But they, they're now competitors rather than, rather than uh, uh, comrades. If you know what I mean. So it's like turning cats from socialists into capitalists with the with the with the flick of a switch. And whoever catches the mouse, Tom, and is allowed to enjoy it. Now, if you're playing music, I can't hear anything right now. Are you actually playing music? Because I can't hear a thing. I can't even hear your voice now. While I'm waiting for you to fix your technical difficulties. Oh, there we go. No, no, you've gone again. Oh, there you are. Now you're back. All right, so are you going to play some music for us, Tom, on that piano? Um, I was just going to do, like, background, bit of background noises from time to time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you going to read the traffic reports? Today on the roads. <laughs> Are you going to do all the roads in the world? <laughs> all the roads, many cars, what, people going places. What would a Venetian traffic report be like? A Venetian? Yeah. Today on the roads, many dolphins. There are many dolphins. The canals, the canals look like Adam's bloodstream out there this morning, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to get a free run into the piazza for an overpriced coffee and pasta. And look out for those dolphins. Uh, there's a, there's a log jam. There's a, there's a, what's that? You'd be in the helicopter. I'd be in the, in the switchboard room, I think. That would be my. Ah, oh, I'd be the eye in the sky. You'd be the eye in the sky. Oh, I'd love to be the eye in the sky. Imagine if that was your job. Every day you just went up. And then I tell you the beauty of that job. Let me tell you the beauty of being the eye in the sky traffic uh, guy. No matter what, whether, whether you're in Venice or whether you're someplace else. Now, not so much now because of all the technology, but if you were the eye in the sky in like 1975 to 1985, and in some parts of the world, maybe even through to 1995, when you flew up there with your binoculars and radioed back to the guy in the control room what the traffic was doing, no one could check. <laughs> no, no one could check. You could. You could. Saying you wouldn't even really have to go to work if you didn't want to. If you had a good, <laughs> if you had a good sound effects like a rubber hose swinging around your head, you could do it from your bedroom. <laughs> And you could just say, oh, yeah, it's terrible down there. And if you got it wrong and someone that was there phoned in and said, no, no, he's it's complete rubbish, it's beautiful, you can get a straight run into the city and then you just tell your station manager, oh, yeah, it, could clear, it must have just cleared up just as we passed through. I think uh, they got that accident off the road. What accident? Oh, yeah, there was an accident just up the road there. Uh, it's like a 
it's like kind of being a, a prison warden from the 1600s in like medieval uh, Spain. You could just do whatever you want, and no one would, uh, no one would, no one would check you on it. No one would dare because <laughs> they'd only have one helicopter. <laughs> this is pre-drone, pre-camera. Uh, this was the this was the job for the egomaniac that that uh, just didn't want to be called on anything, or do, or do any work. <laughs> and wanted to fly around in a helicopter, I guess too. Well, yeah. Well, he'd be flown around. He he didn't even have to fly the helicopter. But the eye in the sky wasn't the guy flying. That that was. That, Oh, that's good. Iron, that's good. Eye in the sky intro music, Tom. I like it. That's very good. Very good. And now, and now we go to Adam in Eye in the Sky. Hit it, Tom. No, no, it's changed. What happened to the? We had the. What happened to the? That's the one. That's the one. Oh my lord! That is the one. Um, now, not many people know this, Tom. Not many people know this, but uh, in in Western Australia, there's a TV station called Channel Ten. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when I was in high school, I actually did my work experience at Channel Ten. Right. Yeah, and I went for a week, and i I got to see I got to see them film the news. Mm-hmm. So I got to like sit in the dark studio and watch the newsreaders read the news. Wow! Yeah, it was very. It was it was exciting. It was exciting for like twenty I minutes. I've unlocked some kind of a secret, uh, secret passageway or something here. What's that? Like because uh, it's just uh, I've never heard this before, and it's uh, it's interesting. The the going to do work experience at the at yeah, Channel work Ten. Yeah, Channel Ten. That's a. I mean, that, there was a station. I watched that. I watched the Channel Ten news many a time. Never from the uh, from the studio. <laughs> oh, never from never from the studio. Uh, but well, I I okay. So this this story goes, um, and it's actually I'm a, bit, a little bit embarrassed about the story. Um, and you should be. You should be embarrassed about it. Well, well, wait till you hear it. I mean, <laughs> it might be inspiring, but it might be, but it, it, it's not. It's quite. It's shameful, actually. Um, because before I went for my week, uh, one of my friends, Daniel Regali, uh, he went to Channel 10 to do a week work experience the week before. Um, now, Daniel Regali, he came from an Italian family and his father owned uh, a patch, like a farm in Mirabuca right next to the freeway. But when he owned the land, it, it the freeway wasn't there. He was like an old school Italian family in Perth. He, that you know, his grandfather would have bought the land for like a thousand pounds or shillings or whatever they were throwing around back in the day. So his father owned this enormous acreage right in like fifteen minutes from from Perth, and he wouldn't sell it. And Daniel's begging him to sell it because it would have been worth you know tens of millions of, of dollars. But his father was a, a stubborn old Italian man or like stubborn old Irish man. They, they just, nah, no, nah, they're set in their ways. So he used the land to grow uh, Chinese vegetables on it. So there, there was this, it, it was like the last stand of rural uh, humanity in in the urban center, this giant, 
16 acre plot of, of baby corns and bok choy uh, and with this little stunted 90 uh, year old Italian man walking up and down. Anyway, Daniel Regali was from that. He didn't sp- to this day, he, ha- he still hasn't spoken to his father since he was 16 years old. And he's now, he would be, oh. yeah, so like 25 years later because he, they had a giant falling out because his father refused to sell the land and, and give money to the family and set everybody up. So Daniel became a professional gambler. The last time I saw him was at the Wacker and he was gambling and drinking mid-strength beer and watching, watching the cricket. Anyway, Daniel Regali, as a teenager, went to Channel 10 uh, to work uh, for work experience. And he came back to school and said, I, I got to go on the helicopter because there was some horrible bushfire or some horrible crash. So they, they went up to chase a news story and they needed the helicopter to get there on time. So they bundled this little Italian uh, in, we used to call him the Wog. That was his nickname. It was a different time, you know, <laughs> it was a different time. Is that, um, is that the shameful bit? No, 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 no. I wish, I wish it was that simple, Tom. Um, so I, I was like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. I can't wait. I'm going to go to Channel 10 and I'm going to get to go on the helicopter. This is going to be wonderful because at that point I'd never been uh, in a helicopter before. At that point I, I probably couldn't even spell helicopter, so I was very excited. And Channel 10 used to be where they uh, – that's where the Wildcats um, – Channel 10 covered the Wildcats games at that, at that stage. Anyway, I went to Channel 10 for the week. And I was secretly wishing for a horrible crash, uh, a fire on a school bus, something awful that that needed the chopper, and it and it never came, Tom. It never came. Much to much much to my chagrin, and and the parents of the children that didn't die in the bus crash that didn't happen, uh, much to their celebration. I mean, and obviously they don't know who they are because the tragedy didn't occur. So I was like, I was counting down. I was like, okay, Monday didn't happen. I'll be like, oh, we've still got the rest of the week. Tuesdays, it'll happen on Tuesday. We'll get on that chopper. Perth's a big city. It's going to be a tragedy somewhere. Tuesday, <laughs> Tuesday came and went, Tom. Tuesday came and went like a bad, like a bad cold, right? Wednesday, I said, middle of the day, middle of the week, hump, hump day, the work people call it, hump day. Uh, which I always thought was quite suggestive, I have to say. I, I always thought that was quite suggestive. Um, as in, yeah, humps. As in, as in humps. Yes, Tom, as in humps. Uh, like hump day. Like hump day, exactly. I'm not talking about the nursery rhyme with the egg guy on the wall. Uh, what else am I going to be thinking of? <laughs> what, yeah. I imagine if you were at like a bell ringer in an 18th century Gothic cathedral, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't enjoy Wednesdays. <laughs> the Hunchback of Notre Dame. So Wednesday came and went. And at this point, I was getting a little bit frustrated. And because I was a, a, a child, well, I was a teenager, but I had the, I had the mind of a child. I was, I was getting petulant. I was getting, that's not fair. The wog got to go up in the helicopter, and it doesn't look like I'm going to get to go up in the, in the helicopter. This is bullshit. Perfectly reasonable. Oh, you think it's reasonable? Okay. That's still not the shameful part of the story, Tom. So <laughs> Thursday came and went uh, like 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 a lady on a bad first date. Friday, I'm there. Now, Friday, 
on work experience day, it's it's a half day. You you get to go home at one o'clock. Okay. By this stage, I've been everywhere in Channel Ten in in the newsroom. I've been I've been. There used to be when the ads came on, they would have this uh, ghoulish man that would sit in a dark room, and it was his job for twelve hours to watch TV and to press the space bar on a keyboard that would tell you what program it was. And that was his entire job. So he would sit and watch Judge Judy, and then when the ads came uh, uh, on, he would turn the sound down on his monitor, and then when Judge Judy came back on, he would turn the sound up, and he'd push the space bar on his keyboard, and the words Judge Judy would come up on the TV screen and then fade after a few seconds. And that's what he did (laughs) all day. I spent a day with that man, and it was torture. (laughs) I spent... A horrible day with that man, um, and then I went. I went to the. Uh, I went to the voiceover booth where the guy recorded the movies that were coming up that week. You know the voiceover guy, and on that week mm-hmm. they were showing uh, the remains of the day with Anthony Hopkins. Remains of the day with Anthony Hopkins. Yes, it was exactly like that. It was exactly like that. <laughs> Um, and and he had to he had to record it a couple of times because the sound guy wasn't happy with the recording kind of thing, you know. I'm not happy with my recording. <laughs> no, no, not the, the well. There was a nice camaraderie between the sound engineer and the voice actor because the voice. I still remember he he was he was saying yeah what you did the remains of the day thing coming on Friday, and then before the sound engineer could say yeah that's good or no that's not good. The voice actor said, no, I want to do that again, Greg. I want to do that again. And then Greg said to whatever his name was, Michael, that's why I love working with you. You don't, you, I, I don't even need to give you any direction. Yeah, let's let's do it again from the top. And I thought, oh, this is an interesting way to make a living. Uh, so I, I spent half a day watching that. Now, it was Friday. It was coming up to 11 o'clock in the morning. I was leaving in an hour. Uh, sorry, in two hours. But I had a little, I had a little, like a half hour break at eleven thirty. Now normally I'd sit with some of the staff, like with one of the editing ladies or one of the the new the journalists or one of the whoever. But I was angry, Tom. I was fuming. I was really fuming. And had I been a uh, a drinker at that stage, I would have I would have felt like a beer. I would have like I need a, I need a drink. This is outrageous. I didn't get to go on the helicopter. So instead of staying in the building, I went to the shops, the nearest shops. And the nearest shops was a very isolated, small deli because uh, where the TV stations were, were in a kind of weird, isolated part of Perth. I think they needed to be elevated up a hill for the signal or something. So they were in Stuart Hill. I think that's where they were. So in Stuart Hill, there was like this, big deli but it was a small deli it was a it was a big small deli do you know what i mean like it was a small deli but it was a bit bigger it wasn't a it wasn't a it wasn't a big deli that was small it was a small deli that was a little bit big so yeah it's kind of like when it rains there's there's different sizes of raindrops like there's big raindrops and small raindrops there's all kinds of raindrops but the raindrop is always the most um aerodynamic shape that uh that that it can be 
Well, this deli was the most aerodynamic deli that could fit into Tewart Hill in that particular spot for the exact amount of people that was around it. Well, if you were in a if you were in a rain shower where the where the drops were predominantly small, and then there was one anonymous dot uh, drop that was a bit bigger, that was the size of the deli, and it had a uh. it had a kink in it. It wasn't just a square. It had like a it had a leg. It had a dog's leg to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the Were shameful the bit. Down the dog's leg? Sorry? Were the fridges down the dog's leg? Like the... Um, not from memory. Not from memory. But what was down the dog's leg uh, was about a stack of 10 Coca-Cola pallets warm on top of each other. And the mm. top one had its plastic removed. And I was walking around this deli like a petulant teenager in the aerodynamic deli, angry that I didn't get to go for a ride in the helicopter. I think I know where this is going. I think I know where this is going. So in order to write the universe, I decided I was going to become a shoplifter. So I took a warm can of Coke and there was a back, there was a door at the end of the dog's leg. So I walked through the front and disappeared out the back, like V for Vendetta, that guy just disappeared out the back with the warm can of Coke. And I felt vindicated like the guy from Vendetta. I felt victorious. I felt voraciously, uh, a voracious vicissitude of, I, I, I don't know any more V words. And then I drank the warm can of Coke. The irony, Tom, is I don't even drink Coke. Even as a teenager, I didn't like Coke. But I didn't like the world at that time, and I thought, if I if, if if the if the rules of the universe are not in my favor, I'm not playing by the rules of law, and I feel entitled to this can of coke. And uh-huh. and I drank half the can of coke, and then I threw it in the bush. <laughs> that's, that's the worst bit. Oh. That's the worst bit. Oh. Of the story. Deep. The, that's the most shameful. The levels of shame. Yeah, because <laughs> because I needed to leave enough in the in the can for it to have enough weight to go into the bush. You know what I mean? Didn't want to throw an empty can, and I didn't like the coke, and it was warm. Um, I was just a mess. Oh, I was an absolute good. mess. Um, that's that storytelling at its finest. Hey, that's all we got, Tom. That's all we got. <laughs> Imagine if there was beer. So, and then yeah, and then I went back, uh, and then I had to go back to school. And they, what's the first thing they asked me? Where did you throw the coke? No, they didn't. Did you, did you steal any? Huh? Any can? You just stole a can? Did you just one can? Yeah, in just yeah. But there's no there's no just about it, Tom. Like, how many cans of coke <laughs> do you have to steal before you're a thief? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, how many cans of coke? Oh, hang on, you've just frozen there, Tom. How many cans of what? How many cans of coke? What? Do you have to produce what you have to produce before you rot the teeth of the world? Well, I think that's a different question. Of course, it's a different question. I think that's a different. I mean, it's about evil. What's well, the greater evil. Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to get into degrees of, of evilness, but I entered one of them that day, <laughs> and it haunts me. Tom. Of it, 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 it haunts me. <laughs> Uh, in the lowest ring of hell in Dante's Inferno, uh, 
uh, Satan is is there, and he's he's actually up to his like knees in he's in this ice he's in this ice chamber, which is which is odd because it's Dante's Inferno. But when he when they get to the lowest level of hell, and Dante uh, sorry Satan is in this ice chamber, and he's up to his knees in like ice and ice water, and he's surrounded by uh, three people, and they all have the same sin in common. Do you know what it is? I don't. I do not. No. They're all betrayers. Uh. And they're all drinking a can of Coke. <laughs> okay. So the first question they asked Dante. me. I didn't realize you. <laughs> he was good. You were collaborating with Dante. No, he was way ahead of his time. He was way ahead of his time. <laughs> he knew. He knew. He knew a few things, man. Don't worry about him. Um, he was thinking, if I paint this now, that's going to be really helpful for when Adam does his um, work <laughs> experience. That's <laughs> How can we maximize Adam's guilt in the future? Oh, here we go. Um, the, so when I got back to school, the first question was, did you get to go on the helicopter? Right, yeah. Who can you remember who asked you? Everybody, Tom. Everybody asked me. Do you know the first person who because asked me? The other guy had gone in the helicopter. Huh? Because the other guy had sort of, I guess, gloated or bragged about going on the. Oh yeah, I mean that was that was the Wog's greatest triumph up until that point. Like he he was not setting the world on fire in high school. Like no one knew he was going to be a professional gambler. No one knew he was going to turn into like have one of the coolest jobs in the world. He was Daniel the Wog Regali. He was five foot two and a bit chubby, and he was a he was a good laugh, and he was nice to hang around with, but like no one was in awe of the wog like they are now, the professional gambler. <laughs> so him him <laughs> swanning into school that Monday saying I've just been up on a helicopter, that was incredible. He was a legend. And, and what, what did I have? I spent a day in a room with a guy with white skin and long white hair watching Judge Judy reruns pressing the space bar. That's what Adam had. And a guilty conscience. I tell you, man. That guy must have, he must have mastered the space bar, that guy. He did master the space bar, um, but we, we got to chatting. We got to chatting, uh, as you do when you're locked in a room with a man, <laughs> where we got to chatting and he... Uh, he 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 knew the machines were coming for him. <laughs> we were talking about automation, you know. He was like, because this was like late nineties. Mm. This, this no, this would have been mid nineties. This would have been nineteen ninety four or something, ninety five. Um, and he he was like, yeah, I do. I've been doing this for seven years. Because um, he'd come in early, like in the dark at six in the morning. And then he'd leave at six at night, which for most of the year would be in the dark as well. You know what I mean? So that was his shift. Um, so, but he was like, "Yeah, but they're gonna they're gonna be automated soon," you know. So he he knew he knew the end was coming, and he probably lusted for it. He probably couldn't wait for it to come because um, he actually said to me, "He said, don't watch it. It'll it'll it rot, it rots your brain." He actually said that. So he was like some, um, he was like a heroin addict talking to one of his last straight 
friends who hadn't uh, who hadn't stuck the needle in yet. Mm-hmm. While he was sticking the needle on himself, he was giving me a warning, mm-hmm. and he knew I was a passerby in his world. I wasn't uh, I wasn't joining his world. I wasn't even going to get to go uh, on the helicopter, you know. But he was he was just saying, <laughs> he, yeah. He, <laughs> I think you might even still be a little bit hurt by it. Who me? You might still be a little. Yeah, I am. I am. You didn't get to go on the helicopter. <laughs> well, well, let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> Now, there's no laughing matter, Tom. It's no laughing matter. But, uh, hey man, I've never, I've never been in a helicopter. Okay, well, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this, uh, this story. Uh, when I was playing in, I'm in, outraged. Sorry, I'm outraged about it. What, what? I'm outraged. You're outraged by the I'm story outraged. I'm about to tell you. No, no, I haven't been in a helicopter. Oh, you should be. That it's That's outrageous. Oh, <laughs> it's absolutely outrageous, man. Um, I just don't get it. When I was, see, I'm a believer, when it suits me, I'm a believer in an interventionist God, okay? I, I believe, uh, again, when it suits me, I believe uh, there's, a, there's, there's a saying, there's a saying in, in the Bible, I, I don't, I'm not sure which part it's from, but it's basically saying that God will only test you as much as you can take. He'll, he'll take you to the limit of your endurance, like Job. Mm-hmm. Now Job, I'm could, familiar with this. Yes, you're you're familiar. So Job could take a hell of a lot, and and God gave it to him. Now I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that uh, biblical uh, uh, statement, but that's the statement. So God denied me the helicopter ride, uh, but then I was playing a gig in Margaret River with uh, John. This was way. This is before I met you. Uh, I was playing with John and Terry down at Margaret River at a winery. This beautiful setting. And we had our, we played our first set. It was during the afternoon. It was like two, two o'clock on a beautiful summer southwest Margaret River afternoon in this pristine multi-million dollar winery um, that a bunch of family lawyers, no doubt, paid for and bought. And the after our first set, this guy walked up and he was a tall. He's about six foot two, and he had denim, je- he had denim jeans and a blue shirt tucked into his denim jeans and I had a patch on his on his uh on his left lapel with his name on it and he had a nice sharp red hair and he came up and said boys love the music uh I've just started this helicopter business and I'm tr- I'm here drumming up uh, uh helicopter tours for people visiting wineries um how long's your set break and I I said like you know 20, 25 minutes whatever and he said, "All right, do you guys want to jump in? And I'll whip you around. Uh, I'll whip you out to the coast and back. I'll have you back here in 25 minutes, and then you can announce it over the uh, uh, before you start your next gig. And then that might drum up a bit of business for me." We were in the back of the helicopter before he'd even started speaking. The guitars, it was like doing. Where's the band? Oh, they're in the helicopter. And this guy, and I believe God sent him, Tom. I believe God sent him. Because uh, I was still burning. I was still burning with it. Uh, and I believe God said, Adam, we're going to give you a heli- helicopter ride today. And this guy took us up in this state of the art. It was like a military helicopter and literally took us around the southwest in 20 minutes. And he even did that low flying, you know, when you buzz the trees kind of thing. And it was wow. it was one of the great – it was it was one of the great, uh, uh, like, music experiences uh, that that I've ever had, 
And he even invited us to come and play at his wedding in Italy, but we had to pay for our own flight, so we didn't end up going. Um, so, yeah, tale of two helicopters today, Todd. The tale of two helicopters. The tale of two helicopters. And if you, if you are lucky enough, uh, which I'm sure you will be soon, Tom, to get a ride in a helicopter, when you get out, you always head towards away from the tail. You never walk backwards. You have to exit forwards. Well, that's good to know. It's a bit that's of a safety tip. Well, I've been in a few choppers I, now. It's, it's quite likely, yeah, that I'll, I'll be riding in a helicopter before long. So, well, it's, it's always good to have the information. Um, it's good to have a few safety tips. Exiting the helicopter. It's what? It's always good to, to have that kind of information about uh, <clears throat> how to exit the helicopter because well, when I when I when I'm chauffeured in the helicopter, <laughs> yes, relatively soon, but that that will probably happen. So you don't. Uh, it's good to know uh, how to uh, exit the helicopter. A little bit like dismounting a horse, or um, yeah. See, I don't know anything about dismounting a horse. Do you know about Do you know about that stuff? Well, my grandparents had a small pony when I was a very young child. Your grandparents had a pony. Your, your grandparents had a midget pony? It was called Midget. Midget was the name of Ah, it. lovely. And is the uh, is the tail of a pony called Midget as dangerous as a pony. chopper? It was called Pony. The tail of the... <laughs> It's called Pony? The tail of the pony was called Pony Tail. They had a separate name for the tail? <laughs> Hey, your parents, your grandparents sound <laughs> fucked up, Tom. Um, now, if you what, what, let, let me let me give you a let me give you one let me give you one last helicopter one last helicopter tip, Tom. Uh, be, before we because we have a hard out today, we have a hard out. That's uh, that's broadcasting talk for a, for a hard finish. Um, if you want to get a helicopter ride without relying on the intervention of God. Or without relying on your own, say, celebrity uh, power, uh, or without having to whatever pay for it. Say, for example, this is what you do: you get in, uh, you get yourself uh, in a car, and you drive to a very remote part of wherever it is that you live. Now, you need a phone that is charged, and you need to find the tallest tree you can. Then you need to go and climb that tree to the highest point that you possibly can, but you need to judge it because you're going to jump out of this tree and you're going to break your legs. <laughs> now, it's very important that you judge that because uh, you will still get the helicopter ride, but if you jump from too high, you won't be able to enjoy it because you'll be dead, right? But if you, if, you, if you get it in the sweet spot, You'll just you might get a nice hard fracture or a clean break, maybe on one, maybe on two legs. If you do it after autumn, uh, there'll be lots of leaves on the forest floor, which will be good. Uh, so that'll reduce the, the 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 fatality thing. Now it's a good idea to to duct tape the satellite phone to your hand in case it bounces out, so you know it's always there. When you land and break your legs, then you need to call the emergency services. And by this stage, you'll be in quite a bit of pain and possibly losing a lot of blood. 
and they will be forced to send a, a I think they're called evac helicopters and you'll get whisked to the nearest state of the art urban hospital uh, and you'll be treated like royalty Okay, yeah, my, there's actually, I'm living not very far away from a heli, there's a, there's a helipad, there's like a, there's a clinic, a hospital clinic. Oh, there you go. A kilometre away. Why don't you go there's and ask them? Just go and say, ask if I can jump, hitchhike, tell, hitchhike. Tell them you're doing a podcast about uh, helicopters mm. and, and you'd like, uh, and you'd like to do, I think they're called ride-alongs. Okay. See, see if you can do a ride along. Yeah, true. And then when you're up there, you can start pretending you're the eye in the sky from some traffic, uh, some traffic radio. And you know, the beauty of that is that they can't pull over and just let you out, kick you out. They have to take you back. True. Uh, like like parents of the terrible children, you have to they you have to let them back. You know what I mean? You have to take them back in. At some point, you just. Acceptance, acceptance prevails. Acceptance prevails, Tom. Acceptance prevails. <laughs>